Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. Jesus himself was a kingdom preacher. He preached the kingdom of God everywhere he went, and he told us to be preachers of the kingdom as well. Amen? Yet many preachers today do not want to do that. Why aren't all the preachers preaching about the kingdom of God? It was good enough for Jesus. Are you saying you're better than Jesus? Are you saying you know more than Jesus? Do you think for one second you can out-preach Jesus? I'm falling back into my drill sergeant days, I know. But think about it. Why are not more preachers today preaching about the kingdom of God? It's because it's not popular today. It's hard to take. It's not a motivational message. It's not a blessing message. It's not a grace message. It is a kingdom message which says you serve a king. Amen. Do not shout me down while I'm preaching good. Glory to God. He was preaching a kingdom that had arrived because he was already the king. He was there which means his kingdom was there. Well, that just don't fit expectations today, does it? Well, it didn't do it in Jesus' day either. All of this kingdom talk, yet where were the signs of the kingdom? Where's the great coronation? We haven't seen it. Where's this great event? Jesus knew that was on his mind. And folks, that was mockery. It was... You keep talking about the kingdom. You keep saying you're a king, which they perfectly well understood from his preaching, to mean that he was the supreme sovereign over all the earth. They understood what it was to be a king. And as I pointed out, we have had a hard time with that because we've never really had a king in America. We don't like absolute unilateral rule. That's not our approach. But they understood what a king was, and they understood the absolute supremacy, absolute sovereignty of a king, that he could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, with whomever he wanted, and there was no appeal, there was no recourse. They understood exactly what it meant to claim to be a king. But to claim to be a king without the appropriate coronation, without publicly letting everyone know that I'm in charge, and to claim to be God's king, oh, especially claim to be God's king. Not God's king like you're over him, but to be God's appointed king. We'll put it like that. And to have brought God's kingdom to earth without the attending pomp and sir. I mean, this is the most high God. 
Why wouldn't he announce the arrival of his appointed king? And the people, they thought to be this was to be absolutely necessary. This was to be the absolute evidence in their minds of the proof that you're a king. And to claim otherwise, without the, all the pomp and circumstance, was just ludicrous and foolish. They made a lot of efforts in those three and a half years of ministry to make Jesus look foolish. The Pharisees engaged Jesus in a number of questions publicly, what we would call today press conferences, if you want to do that. In the Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 7, chapter 11, and many other places, every time they engaged him with a question, it was with the intention of discrediting him publicly, exposing him, making him a joke, bringing down upon him the animosity of the people, or in some cases, ultimately, the Romans. So they never had a good motive coming to Jesus. It doesn't seem that their motives were ever pure. And by this time, all this kingdom talk with absolutely no evidence of it makes a joke out of his claim. And they come wondering in their minds, just exactly when this kingdom of God is going to come that you keep talking about. They had developed a very elaborate expectation that their Messiah's rule would be inaugurated with a truly publicly display of miracles, signs, wonders in the sky and in the earth that would make the arrival of the true king and his true kingdom unmistakable. There would be no question about it. In fact, it might be good to show you what they expected. Now, I can take you through the the entire Old Testament. But a very good way to understand what was in their minds was just to go to the book of Joel. Joel, J-O-E-L, Joel. Sometimes my southern accent gets mixed up with my Canadian accent and words, you know, people say, what did he say? (laughs) Glory to God. The last 12 books of the Old Testament begin with Hosea, then Joel. And Joel lays out for us the prophecies concerning the arrival of the king to establish his kingdom. Glory to God. It involves, of course, judgment on the ungodly and protection and deliverance for the godly and the righteous as they are ushered into the glorious kingdom. Joel begins at the very outset of his prophecy with identifying this event. In chapter 1, verse 15, Joel chapter 1, verse 15, Alas for the day, the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. The coming of the King was called the day of the Lord. And we always associate the day of the Lord with judgment, maximum judgment, a final kind of judgment. There are days of the Lord in the Old Testament, days when God stepped in with great judgment. But there is coming a culminating, eschatological, final day of the Lord, which Joel has in view here in his prophecy. 
This will be the destruction that comes from the throne room of God himself. He will come to destroy his enemies and the ungodly. At the same time, it will be a time of salvation. It will be a time of blessing for the righteous. Go to the end of the prophecy, chapter 3, verse 18. It will come about in that day, that day of the Lord, that the mountains will drip with sweet wine, the hills will flow with milk, all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. In other words, it's going to be a time of immense blessing. Amen. Back in verse 16 at the end, the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Verse 17, you will know that I am the Lord, your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be set apart. Glory to God. So we see all the positives. There is going to be the rescue and the protection of the righteous. And God is going to send his king to establish his throne. Where? In Jerusalem. And he's going to reign over Israel and over the whole earth. Well, Brother Bob, what are the signs of this coming? Is it happening right now? What's going on? Well, what should they be looking for as an indication? Go to chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. So we get a description. A day of darkness. A day of gloom. A day of clouds. A day of thick darkness as the dawn is spread over the mountains so there is a great and mighty people there has never been anything like it now he goes on talking about an army and a great war that will take place then down in verse 10 he describes further phenomena earthquakes the heavens tremble the sun and moon excuse me the sun and moon grow dark the stars lose their brightness and the lord utters his voice before the army. So there are plenty of visible signs, a great amassing of people in an army on the side of conquering the Lord, as well as enemies opposing him. I read that wrong. Let me read my notes again. Plenty of visible signs, a great amassing of people in an army on the side of the conquering Lord as well as the enemies who are opposing him. Signs in the sky, signs in the earth. Voices from heaven, verse 11 says, The day of the Lord is indeed great, very awesome, but who can endure it? Amen. Now, Jesus was doing miracles. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. And there was a certain power in that that was unexplainable. Miracles were happening all over the place throughout his ministry. Stunning, shocking, but not the kind of awesome signs like a great earthquake or a collapsing heaven that are associated by the prophet Joel with the work of God. 
And in that day, rend your heart, verse 13 of chapter 2, not your garments. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. In other words, you better make your peace with God before he comes in that day. Amen? If you haven't made your peace with God by accepting Jesus as the King, as the Messiah, and if you accept Him as Messiah, you have to accept His sacrifice. If you don't make that decision before the coming day of the Lord, it's too late in that day. And Joel gives very specific indicators of that. Over in chapter 2, verse 30, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's what they, in Jesus' day, were looking for. They were not looking for someone who was meek and lowly, compassionate and sympathetic and tender-hearted, who spent all his time with the sick and the needy and the poor and the grieving and the pained. He didn't hang out with the kings in their palaces or the leaders of the military or anything like that. He spent his time with those in their hearts were praying for the coming of the Messiah. Not as judging king and conquering king, but just to save them. When questioned, Jesus said, the doctor doesn't come just to spend time with those who aren't sick. He comes to heal the sick. You see, they were not looking, I'm talking about they, they the leaders of the day, the leaders of the church, like we have leaders of churches today, a lot of churches aren't looking for the coming of the kingdom. They're looking at getting more and more and more in their kingdom. Anyway, that's I'm getting off topic on that. Don't get me going down that rabbit trail. Glory to God. But they were not looking for someone who was so comfortable with tax collectors and prostitutes and other assembled sinners who they consider to be a baser level of society. Where was the spectacular? Where was the big time divine coronation? Where was the fireworks show? They came mocking Jesus in a tone, at least I believe they do, but I think it's consistent with all the other times they came. They would come and basically say, well, when is the kingdom of God going to show up? I mean, if you're the king and the kingdom of God's here. When's the big announcement? When's the big ceremony? And, and as Jesus always did, he dismantles their misconceptions. In verse 20, he says, The kingdom of God is not coming with outward signs that can be observed. He's not coming with signs to be observed. That's not a future tense, by the way. That is a present tense. He's not talking about the future coming of the kingdom. That will come with signs to be observed. He's telling them the kingdom of heaven is now currently in the process of coming. And there are no such signs. 
You can see signs of my deity displayed every time I do a healing, every time I cast out a demon, every time I raise the dead. Signs of my deity are on display when I feed the multitudes or when I walk on water. But there are no signs of the coming of the aspect of my kingdom of which you talk about. The words of our Lord reveal their their misunderstanding. They did not understand the kingdom. The king was there. The kingdom was there. But they had a problem. And Jesus expressed what that problem was in a conversation he had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You remember that conversation. Let me just pull one statement out of it. Jesus' answer said to him, John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I'm telling you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, if you haven't been recreated, as we studied before, if you haven't been raised from the dead, because when you're born again, you are raised from the dead. If you haven't had the blinders taken off of your eyes, if you've been born again, you can now see. If you don't have the new life inside of you, because if you're born again, Jesus himself recreated you a new man, a new creation living inside your body. If these things haven't happened, you can't see the king or the kingdom. Then he went on to say, you must be born of water. That's your natural birth and the spirit. In other words, demons, fallen angels, can never be born again. Elsewhere, oh Lord, where's that? Bring it to my memory. Remember where he said, the Lord, I believe. He said, do you believe? The devils believe, but they tremble. Do you believe in God? The devils believe. You do well to believe in God. The devils also believe. But they tremble. They tremble when they think about God because they know they can never, ever, for all of eternity, never, ever, ever, no chance in hell of being born again and escaping the wrath to come. It's impossible. Amen? If you haven't been recreated, you can never see the king or the kingdom. That's the spiritual birth cleansing by the power of God given by his Holy Spirit. Without it, you will never see the kingdom. Never, never, ever. And it's still that way today. God has revealed this to us. Not to the many noble, but to the lowly. God has revealed it to us, the babies. Hidden it from the wise and the prudent. As I told you last time, the kingdom of God is here. It's here now. It was there then, and it's here now. And the kingdom is growing. The kingdom is expanding. But the world still can't see it. It's the invisible kingdom. It is moving towards a great day where it will be visible in immense visibility. And when he comes the second time, every eye will see him. Not only will they see him, 
But there will be in Romans 8, verse 19 to 21, the glorious manifestation of the children of God. Not just Adam and Jesus and Eve, but every born-again believer, every Jew that believes, every Jew that would receive Jesus as Savior. Lord, open their eyes that they may see. Every eye will see. There will be the unveiling at that time of who we really are as well. Not only will they understand Jesus is their king, but we will be unveiled as the children of God. Hallelujah. That's a good place to shout amen right there. So he came to his own, and his own would not receive him. He was in the world. The world was made by him, but they could not see it. They were dead wrong, by the way, for the king was there. They were looking at his face, the king of kings. The kingdom had come to them. It was there. They could embrace it, but they couldn't see it. It's still here today, yet many people can't see it. Therefore, they do not embrace it. How, you say, are we to understand this kingdom? Well, let me review what I told you last time. And I was just just trying to make it clear. I was working hard to do that. I don't know if I succeeded in doing that, but I was trying my best, which I do every week, by the way. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And, and I, you know, it's, it's easy to be hard to understand. It's really easy to be hard to understand. Because if I don't know what I'm talking about, then neither will you. It's hard to be clear because for somebody to be clear, they have to understand what they're talking about. I spend hours, literally hours every day studying, listening, reading the Word of God. So hopefully... Maybe, perhaps, maybe I've cleared up a few things along the way and I can express them a little bit more clearly to you. Amen. Anyways, God is a king. Jesus is his appointed king over all the kingdom realm. And he rules over two kingdoms now. It really is one kingdom, but in two parts, two phases. First, there is his external universal kingdom over which he rules, get this, by creation. He created it, which means he rules over it. That is, he is the king of the universe. He's the king of everything and everyone everywhere. Everything and everyone in the entire universe at all times from their creation to their end or their eternity is all under his absolute sovereign will and authority. Stars explode at his command. Comets impact worlds that we cannot see at his command. Why, Brother Bob? Because he commanded it. I don't know the reason why. 
As we used to say and tell our privates in the military, yours is not the reason why, yours is to do or die. That was it. He is the absolute sovereign over everything that we can see or not see. The space telescope, the Hubble Space Telescope, has the ability to look beyond everything that could ever be imagined. Well, that's just a natural view. That just displays the awesomeness of God's kingdom, of of the, the reign of Jesus. Glory to God. Jesus exercises supreme power over everything and everyone he's ever made. And he continues to exercise that power at all times. Since the fall of Adam, this kingdom has been, this kingdom, the natural created kingdom of which we talk has been in rebellion against its very own king. By the way, there is a leader of that rebellion named Satan. The rebellion has been unsuccessful and is headed for total destruction. But in the meantime, the system run by Satan is in violent rebellion against the king. Now, I'm going to use this as an example. Let's go out, just for the sake of imagery, we'll use the deserts of the Middle East. Pick a desert. A huge, huge desert area. Very few people live there. You could go for days without seeing anybody. And there's a war going on. And along the coastal cities where most of the populace lives, your enemy is located. Are you going to spend your time out in the vast spaces of the desert fighting nobody? Saying, I have conquered all this land, but in reality, there's only a few people who you've really conquered. You may be occupying that great space, but your influence is minuscule. If you're going to fight the war, you have to go where the people you are fighting are located. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time when we gather together around the word of god be blessed and remember we serve an awesome god